So uh, I think most of you guys know, but I, I'm soon to be a father. Um, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I'm soon to be a father. And uh, my wife, my pregnant wife's here, uh, Brittany. She is the leader at New Hope Kids. And, um, you know, I've been preparing myself to become a dad as much as, I, as possible. I've been um, reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to other dads here. And I've even subscribed to some uh, girl dads on Instagram. Uh, so um, I feel like that's the most helpful area, actually, Instagram. But, um, but nonetheless, I don't think becoming a father has really struck me until this week. Um, my, actually, my, mother, my mother-in-law, uh, Mrs. Bene- Mrs. Hall, is here, and um, she's been helping us set up the room for the baby because um, we live in New York, the nursery is literally in our bedroom. <laughs> and so, um, and I guess like seeing the, the clothes laid out and specifically just how little some of the clothes are. And not only how little the clothes are, but also how little she's going to be when she comes. And not only how little she's going to be, but how little her hands and her feet and her body is going to be. And so, you know, it's just made me realize... Um, how dependent she's going to be on me and Brittany for, well, actually, for 18 years of her life, actually. But <laughs> some of you with older kids understand. Um, but, yeah, nonetheless, um, it's, it's also helped me think through how um, our relationship with God, and uh, specifically as his adopted children, how he watches us and takes care of us and provides for us and loves us, um, I think uh, parenthood has really, uh, preparing for parenthood has get me, got me excited about just knowing that spiritual reality more. Uh, and I think actually Jesus has a similar lesson for us about depending on him in our passage today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn, turn t- with me to Luke chapter 10. And I, I want to, uh, the, the main thought of this is about being dependent disciples, dependent disciples. And um, what it means to follow Jesus in mission. And so, you know, if you're, if you're here and, like, you haven't fully embraced following Jesus yet, um, I know when I was first coming to church and learning about um, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, I, I really struggled with the idea that Jesus was the only way to God. It, it, I mean, you know, as a college student, I was a Buddhist, um, I struggled with, it sounds so exclusive and unloving, the message. But I started to actually think a little bit deeper then, and I realized actually, the, actually the most loving thing a Christian can do, if they actually believe Jesus is the only way to God, as Jesus taught in the Gospels, that telling the Gospel and sharing the Gospel is the most loving thing that a Christian can do. Um, In in other words, uh, if I were to say this negatively, the most unloving thing a Christian can do is not share the hope of Jesus. Now, I I know that uh, I'm talking to, you know, someone here who hasn't fully embraced Jesus, but if you're a believer here, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just trying to say that you have good grounds to share the gospel with your neighbor. You want to love them, and one of the ways we're commanded to love our neighbor, and so one of the ways we love our neighbor is we share the gospel with them. Nonetheless, let's go to our text, and we're going to be reading actually chapter, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. Uh, big numbers are chapters, small numbers are verses, if you're new. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the street and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." Um, maybe to give you some context about this gospel, uh, Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament, and uh, Luke is actually supposed to be read with Acts because they're actually the same author and, and it's supposed to be read continuously. And uh, actually, Luke in chapter one talks about how he's writing an orderly account to a man named Theophilus so that Theophilus can have certainty about the things that have been taught to him. And so, Luke, being a doctor and historian, uh, makes a very detailed, very vivid picture of what Jesus' ministry was like. And um, for the first nine and a half chapters, Luke has mainly been answering the question, what, um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But actually in chapter 9, verse 51, right before our chapter, Luke now pivots to ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And actually, our chapter here is about partially that. And so, um, if you're a note-taker, my, my kind of my main thought for today is that um, if we are to follow Jesus, we are to be dependent on Jesus for the mission of Jesus. We are to be dependent on Jesus while we are on mission for Jesus. And so, um, I'm going to, you know, just a map for where we're heading. We're going to first talk about how we are to be de- dependent on Jesus in our circumstances, 
Then we're going to be talking about how we are to be dependent in our resources, with our resources. Then we are to be dependent with Jesus with every outcome. And lastly, we're going to talk about how we are to be dependent on Jesus uh, beyond our gifts and abilities. And so I pray that this sermon encourages you, as Proverbs would say, to not lean on your own understanding, but to lean on the Lord as He establishes our step. So let's start with what does it mean to be dependent on Jesus in our circumstances? Okay, so let's look at the first three verses. It says, After this, the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, Jesus is now commissioning these 72 others, 72 others outside of the main 12, to go into a town ahead of him as they travel. And as before, long before Jesus comes, in order to tell, the, tell that town about how the kingdom has come near. Now, Jesus actually gives two metaphors as per, before sending them off, gives two metaphors as per the circumstances to this mission. There in verse 2, you actually see Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This, the circumstances to their mission were going to be daunting because the harvest was plentiful and the laborers are few. Let me explain. Um, you know, in, in, during Jesus' time, um, people lived in an agrarian society, and the harvest was a metaphor that Jesus used in order to say that the food, you know, the harvest is a joyful time because the food that was out on the fields was ripe and ready to be picked and plucked and passed around and put on the market. And Jesus uses this metaphor to say that there are many people who are ready to hear and receive the gospel. That's really encouraging for disciples going out on mission, right? But then Jesus continues and says, but the laborers are few. Now, I know we don't live in an agrarian society, so the metaphor doesn't hit us like it should, but I know some of you are accountants, so let me use this illustration. Um, you have many new clients this year, and the tax returns are overwhelming. And your tax department is understaffed. Okay, maybe you're a healthcare worker, and I say, um, the people in the waiting room is overfilling, but there's a shortage of doctors and nurses. You guys are getting a picture. Maybe you're a student, and I say, hey, you're going to end the semester soon. You're going to graduate, but there's a, there are many classes, many assignments, and many quizzes to do, and guess what? You only have so many hours to do them. You can understand how what Jesus is saying when he says the laborers are few makes the circumstance of the mission daunting. And you, guys, you guys get that? But he also says that the mission is going to be, or the circumstance is going to be dangerous. If you look down in verse 3, Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but when I try to picture lambs in the midst of wolves, it's a pretty scary picture. Um, Jesus is not picturing here a uh, Madagascar-like reality or movie where lions become friends with zebras and lemurs become friends with hippos. Jesus is actually saying, in some sense, to his disciples, when you go out, you're going to feel like lambs. You're going to feel defenseless, and your situation is going to feel hopeless. And uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a dangerous task that I'm sending you on. 
So the circumstances of the mission are daunting and dangerous. And so what does Jesus teach his disciples to do? Actually, look at the end of verse 2. And Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, I guess, church, uh, as a church body, we are to pray. We are not to lean on our own understanding. And so, um, you know, this mission, this message becomes very critical for us because as New Hope, uh, as some of you are aware, we're going to be sending out almost half of the congregation out in the coming year, Lord willing, to church plant. And that's a bit scary because that means half of our people are gone. And so half of this room is going to feel half empty. Um, and so Jesus calls us to pray for him. So pray to him. So let me actually pray for us. Let, let's obey the Lord's command and let's pray real quickly for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the wonderful teaching that Jesus taught us that we should not lean on our own understanding. And we now pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Lord, would you do this as we trust you in our mission? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, number one, we are to depend on Jesus in our circumstances. That brings me to point number two. We are to depend on Jesus with our resources. With our resources. Um, You can look down at verse four. Jesus' words here seem a bit extreme. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, I just want you to imagine um, you're about to take on this journey. You're about to get on this path, on this winding road through the mountains, and you're on mission with Jesus, and Jesus tells you, carry no wallet. So now you don't have a, a, a resource in order to secure lodging, in order to secure supplies. But then he says, no knapsack, no, no backpack. So now you can't carry your clothes, your maps, not even your underwear. And then Jesus says, carry no sandals. And you see the road, and you see how rocky and thorny this road is. And you're like, wait a second, hold on. Actually, Jesus here is using um, a rabbinic uh, rhetorical device. He's actually trying to convey a message that the urgency of the kingdom proclaimed is so urgent that they are not to go home and carry all their belongings and go on this trip. No, they are to go forward and to trust Jesus, to depend on him with their resources. And so, um, you know, we, we, we hardly ever leave the home without a phone. And, um, you, know, hard, you know, can you imagine me leaving the house without my shoes? <laughs> not in New York, um, especially on the subway. Um, but, Jesus is teaching us that even though it feels like we are unprotected and unprovided for, we are to trust him. And Jesus is, in other words, is asking us to experience, actually, the radical hospitality that the kingdom of God offers us. Um, Now, I I know this message, this point, uh, it's very easy to preach, to trust Jesus with our resources, and it's very hard to believe especially if you're going through a hard circumstance with finances. Um, 
You know, I uh, had a situation, well, my, my mother had a situation happen two months ago where uh, her landlord, my, my mom's been renting for over 25 years. This is the house that I was brought in, my, my brother was brought in where my father passed away. And um, the landlord uh, actually reached out to her on September 1st and told her and asked her to, um, because she wanted to sell the property to, uh, to pack her bags and to leave by the end of the month. You know, she didn't have six months to prepare. She didn't have three months. She didn't even have two months. She had 30 days to do it. And um, during that time, I remember um, there was a lot of sleepless nights, I think. And for me personally, I was thinking, what is my mom going to do? And I can hardly even think what, what was going through my, mom, my mom's mind at that time. But um, we prayed. We, we sought the Lord. And about like three or four days before she had to totally move out, this lady calls her and tells her, uh, Neela, I actually, I want to offer my house up to you. I'm actually going to be moving to my other property, and I want to open up my house to you. And we were ecstatic. And here's the, here's the craziest thing. That person was her direct neighbor. So my mom was moving from one house to literally the next house, and for the longest time, we didn't know what we were going to do. We were, I was even thinking, like, she's going to have to move to New York, and we're going to have to and, uh, house her. But praise the Lord, he provided for us. And he'll provide for you. Um, you know, in, in a, Jesus actually teaches us in Matthew 6 uh, not to be anxious about our life, what we will eat or what we will drink, what we will wear, um, and, and Jesus goes on to say, but seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we seek Jesus, he says, I will provide for you. And in the same way, he's telling, that's what he's telling his disciples. You are going to experience the radical or complete provision and protection of God's kingdom. And so we are to trust Jesus with our resources um, this becomes all the more applicable to us who have half the congregation moving out. Amen? We are to trust the Lord. He will provide. Point number three, we are to depend on Jesus with every outcome. Now, uh, as Jesus commissions these 72 out, he gives them a set of expectations on what to expect on this mission. And if you look down in verse 9, he actually says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, so these are people who accept the message. They are healed, and their disciples are told, are told to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But what's really interesting is Jesus says in verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's really interesting. Jesus says, whether they accept or reject, you're to say the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, uh, maybe that didn't hit you like I wanted it to, but, um, but the reason why Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has come near is because the king of that kingdom is coming near. Remember, I told you Jesus is sending them out, and so he's coming out after them. Uh, even more, Jesus says, some people are going to say no to your message. 
And what are you to do? Verse 11, even the dust, say this, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Uh, this, this sounds a bit weird, but actually during this culture, whenever you would wipe off the dust off your feet, it would be actually a sign of judgment towards that city or to that, to that house to say that you haven't accepted me and so I won't accept, you know, uh, well, not I won't accept you, but the judgment's against you. It's not on me. Jesus, in other words, is telling his disciples not to lean on their own understanding with the results, not to lean on their own uh, expectations. Some will say no. And guess what? Jesus is saying, shake off the dust. Uh, as one popular scholar of our today says, um, the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> and baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. Shake it off. Shake it off. Uh, that's for the Swifties in here, by the way. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Um, I can't believe it. Like, all the guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he is telling us, though, to don't worry. People are going to say no. Don't depend on yourself. Depend on me for the results and keep moving forward. The kingdom of God has to advance. Um, you know, let me give you a short illustration before I move on to my next point is... Um, when I was uh, nine or 10 years old, uh, I used to play soccer, competitive soccer. And whenever I would make a mistake on the field, uh, I, I used to get so um, critical of myself. Uh, I would get so upset. And I would get upset to the point that even if I made a mistake in the game, I would think about that mistake in the game for the rest of the play. And I remember my coach in one practice, this has stuck with me ever since, is he stopped the play and he said, do you know what the most important play is in soccer? You know, some people said, oh, the corner kicks, the free kicks, halftime because we're getting water. But no, the coach said, actually, the most important play is the next one. It's the next one. Because you can't dwell, when you're an athlete, actually, I think, I'm going to put a plug for basketball lovers here, but I think one of the reasons why Jordan, Michael Jordan, was amazing at what he did was because he was able to stay present. He didn't dwell on his past mistakes. If he messed up, he would, he would, he would just continue on and being, um, you know, with the next play. And I think Jesus, when he says in verse 11, shake off the dust of your feet, he's saying something very similar. Don't dwell on people who say no to you. People are going to reject you. People, um, you know, I, I, how many times do we writhe? I mean, this is me. How many times do I just replay that one memory of that person rejecting me or saying no or even overanalyzing before I talk to someone? I don't have the right words. I don't know the right thing to say. I don't have, I don't know, the theology, apologetics. You can name it. But Jesus is telling us that while we are on mission, we are to depend on him with the results. That should give us boldness in sharing our faith. Amen? You with me now? Thank you. Thank you, Audrey. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, that's, we are to depend on him with the results, um, which brings me to my last point. We are to depend on him beyond our abilities and our gifts. If you look down with me in verse 7, it says that after the mission, the 72 returned with joy. So the disciples had found... Um, they had found success, actually, in their journey. They're returning with joy, and they say this, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're rejoicing over the fact that we've been healing the sick, and we've been proclaiming the kingdom, and we've seen the power. 
And by the way, we're going to see in the, this in the, later in Acts. Um, but it's amazing. They're rejoicing. And then Jesus says this really strange thing in verse 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen Satan fall like lightning. There is only one type of person who can say this type, type of thing, and it is the divine Son of God who saw into the spiritual reality that as his disciples were proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was seeing Satan fall like lightning. Jesus affirms their joy even in verse 19. He says, behold, I have given you authority uh, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. But then Jesus says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are are written in heaven. Jesus is redirecting their joy and trying to show them that their ultimate joy is not found in what they do, not what they have done for the Lord, even if it's in Jesus' name, but rather the fact that their names are written in heaven, the fact that what Jesus would do for them. Because little do they know that as they step one foot after another into these towns, There is their Lord who has appointed them on this mission, who is taking one step after another. To where? But to the cross. You see, on the cross, what Jesus was facing was not just a a regular man's death. He He was facing the wrath of God for all of us who would turn and trust him in, in such a small way, Jesus, uh, the, 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 the mission that the disciples were on was such a small mission compared to the great mission that Jesus would accomplish by coming down and being born of human likeness and humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as the divine son, he is the one who has come as a lamb in the midst of wolves, right? He is the one who on the cross is treated as if his name was blotted out for all of us who would turn and trust him. So friends, if you are not here and you haven't trusted Jesus, might I implore you to turn and trust Christ. Um, Jesus, I mean, this, this word that to say your names are written in heaven makes us realize that we've been brought to an unshakable relationship with the Father which will be fully realized in heaven. Um, I, I was at a conference two years ago at the Sing Conference. It's a, a singing conference. Obviously, it's called Sing. And, uh, and I listened to a, a woman named Joni Erickson Tata, who is a paraplegic. Uh, if you don't know what a paraplegic is, it's basically someone who has been paralyzed with her four limbs. She can't feel her legs, her hips down and partially her arms. She, can't ha- she doesn't feel them. And Joni Erickson Tata gave this amazing message, and it's on YouTube, by the way. You can go look it up. But in her introduction, she talked a little bit about what she thinks heaven will be like or the resurrection will be like on, on the day she comes. And I want to read her quote to us. It says, I know it's not glamorous, nor is it biblical, but when people ask me what the resurrection will be like, I picture myself as a marathoner, 
who has run a long race of suffering, and I see myself breaking the tape, landing on those white sands of that celestial shore, and I imagine myself heaving and gasping as, I, as a marathoner would. I drop to my hands and my knees in the sand, gasping, saying, I made it, I made it, thank God, I made it. And then I roll over on my back, and arms displayed on the sand, eyes closed, letting the sun kiss my face, and then I get the sense that someone is standing over me. Someone is leaning over me. I will open my eyes, and there will be the face of Jesus eclipsing the sun, and he will look down on me and say, oh, sweetheart, welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is what it means to have our names written in heaven. And at that time, we're not going to come to the Lord and say, Lord, look at all this great work I did for you. We will say, by your grace and for your glory, Lord, thank you that you did this work for me. We give you all the honor and praise. It's, none, it's not me, it's you. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples, not to rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you, but that your names are written in heaven. Um, New Hope, I, I pray that in this next season, we would, I know it's such a simple message, but it's, it's, it, it matters. We are to depend on the Lord in every one of our circumstances, even if half this church leaves, even if we are going, we're weathering um, unemployment and navigating career shifts, we are to trust Him in every aspect of our lives, especially while we're on mission. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, and as a good shepherd would, you are guiding us to this uh, home that we will have where uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fully realize this unshakable relationship that you have brought um, with the Father. And God, we pray that you, you would help us to trust you in every circumstance, with the resources, with every outcome, and beyond our gifts and abilities. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.